Welcome to the Wags of SCI podcast, where we discuss life, love, and caregiving after spinal cord injury. Hosted by Elena Pauly and Brooke Paget. Both of our partners are quadriplegics. And after connecting online in 2017, we began the advocacy and support group WAGS of SCI, which is an acronym for Wives and Girlfriends with Spinal Cord Injury. We know firsthand the challenges that come with living this lifestyle. And our mission is to spread education, awareness, and positivity from our unique perspectives. Us each week as we tackle deep discussions around balancing life as a caregiver and a lover to someone with a spinal cord injury. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Wags of SCI podcast. Here we go. everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Wags of SEI podcast with your host Selena Polly and Brooke Paget. Today we have a guest who is a Wag of SEI, a member of our community, Beth Erlander. We're going to get into her incredible new book um, about grief and the process that she went through to write this incredible book about her journey with her partner as a caregiver. So hang tight and I'll hand it over to Brooke until then. We just wanted to send a big shout out to this episode's sponsor, Robin Wishart and her team at Wishart Brain and Spine Law. Uh, Robin is the official legal advocate of the Wangs of SCI community and has been working with us over the past four years on our own cases and behind the scenes to assist Wangs all over the globe with their legal questions and support them in any way she can. So if you have anything from you need a lawyer to look into your insurance benefits paperwork, you have legal questions that you can't get answered and you need someone who specializes in spinal cord injury, Um, or if you have some caregiver payment questions, she's working on our own private cases when it comes to our payment uh, for spousal caregiving and advocacy in that area. So if you need help of any kind, including resources in your area, please contact Robin at Wish Heart Brain and Spine Law. You can visit wagsofsci.com and click on the legal resources tab to learn more about our partnership with Robin and her team and what they can do to help you. And you can also visit brainandspinelaw.com to learn more about Robin directly. So we'll get right into it. So who is this fantastic woman in our community, you might ask? So Beth Erlander, MA, LPC, is a therapist, creative grief support practitioner. She's a grief coach, author, artist, and art therapist, a caregiver to her partner, and a black cat mama. They live in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains in Boulder, Colorado. She's been a therapist since 1999, where she interned for hospice. However, she learned the most about her grief process when her life partner, Michael, crashed while mountain biking. He broke his neck from C3 to C7 with C5 almost completely severed. The result was quadriplegia. Their life went upside down. She started writing in 2015 about her process of suddenly becoming his caregiver and how she came right side up again by befriending all the grief that she had been that had been thrown her way her memoir life upside down the fall that transformed our lives lifting me through grief love and quadriplegia came out in september of 2023 it has been called an unofficial guidebook to grief in a romance that reads like a thriller please check out her book and her work at www.betherlander.com 
And of course, we will link that to this episode um, for all of our community to follow and all of our audience to check out. So thank you very much for coming on today, Beth. Thank you for being a member of the Wags of SAI community. Um, you have a lot to offer. As, as I'm sure you can imagine, there are so many similarities with pretty well every single person in this community. So thank you. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Brooke and Elena, for having me on. And it's such an honor to be here to speak to our Wags out there. So thank you. Well, we have a lot of questions, obviously. Um, but Firstly, thank you again from you know for coming on, and it's really nice to have a real life wag of SDI on every now and then, just because the stories are unparalleled, and we learn so much from our community members. And yeah, we're just we're really grateful that you're on here. Um, do you want to get into how this all started? Your story, um, just kind of you know, I know Elena explained it briefly in the start, but we want to know more about you and your journey. So where did this all start for you? Sure. Well, I became a therapist and not just um, a psychotherapist, but I became an art therapist because I've always used art um, as a way to help me throughout my life. And there was one particular time um, in my late 20s where I was making a piece of art um, to actually help me with the grief process. I had left a community I'd been living in and I couldn't uh, go out and travel. And I sat down with my art, my watercolors, and I painted something and it was a weeping eye and it just reflected back to me like, oh, I'm just grieving. And as soon as I did that, then I felt much better. And that's when I began the journey of becoming an art therapist. Um, And I went to Naropa University in the late 90s to do that. So, so that's how that happened. And, uh, but like I said, it wasn't until, um, 2012. So I'd been working with grief. I was working as an intern for hospice, but it wasn't until I was what I like to call swallowed by the depths of grief. And I was in the bowels of grief myself when my partner crashed on his mountain bike. It was late August of 2012. And um, that's why I wrote the book. The book talks about the, the whole, like how it happened that I was the only one that knew where he was and he didn't come home for hours. I got the search and rescue crew going and it, there was a moment where I knew like something was wrong. And so I got that all started and then like our life just went upside down from there. And throughout it all though, especially in the beginning, there was a voice that said, pay attention to this. This is going to come in handy someday. Um, and that, I don't know if that was my higher self or like my entrepreneur self because I run my own business, but I'm always thinking of how can I help others? How is this process going to be, this process is going to be helpful for people in the future. So if we take a little bit of a step back to your grieving process, were you already in grief prior to your partner's um, accident or did you feel that there was something there before his accident? I was not grieving at the time of his accident. We had actually just moved in together. We'd been moved in together for nine months prior to that. And we had been together for three years and we were really taking a step forward in our relationship. And so it was the grief of the accident that I'm referring to. And it's not, I think, uh, what I want to explain is that 
losing to somebody to a spinal cord injury is very confusing. I was really confused because a lot of my training with grief prior to that was focused mainly on death loss. And there is so much more loss and grief associated with so many other aspects of life and things that we lose, and it's not just death loss. So that began my journey into that. Like, what is this? Is this grief? Yes, it definitely was grief. Right. Thank you for explaining that. And it's what a time for you to come on to this podcast. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Brooks and my story. Um, last year, I lost, Dan and I lost both of our dogs and my mother suddenly to cancer within a span of three months. Yeah. So the kind of grief that you're describing, and of course, my partner's injury happened coming on to eight years. So the kind of grief that you're describing, I am, I'm very familiar with that. Um, the depth of grief when you, especially when you're surrounded by death consistently. And, uh, my training had been actually, I've taken loads and loads of courses through my degree on death and dying. And I thought, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter what kind of training you had in the support of death and dying and the process of that, it's very different when you yourself are in the depths of that and the way that your body and your mind make that connection to process. And I feel like we can write so many manuals on what is the process of grief. And you might be able to get, you know, in hospice, you get a nice pamphlet saying, this is the next step. This is what you do, but it's very different when you are the one who is in it. Right. Exactly. So can you explain to us some of the tools that you used when your partner had his accident um, to kind of pull yourself out of that or not even pull yourself out of it to really feel the real grief that was associated with that? Because I think there's a huge misconception as well with, you know, this is yucky. I don't like this feeling. How do I make it go away? How do we cover it up? How do we take this medicine or do this or that to make sure that we don't feel it? Can you explain to us the opposite of that? Sure. Well, and first, Elaine, I just want to say I'm so sorry for all your losses all at once. That sounds in that three month span. Um, So I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah, thank you. Well, we can't run away from it because once grief is part of your life, it's going to be asking for attention. I sometimes refer to grief as like a disheveled human being that comes to our front porch and and is begging to come in it's knocking at the windows and the doors and it really all at once is just to be let in and invited acknowledged i think we need to sit and have tea feed it some cookies and we need to get to know it i speak often about befriending grief and and actually if we do that there's very deep wisdom there for us and lessons that can come eventually from sitting with our grief instead of trying to get rid of it but it's so easy to want to not to feel that way because we we live in a culture in the Western world that we don't sit well with discomfort. Um, and so we will do anything in our power to try and not to feel that way. And I feel like the more we do that, I think the more, um, the closer it comes, wanting our attention. And so that's one of the things that I did very early on was I just gave it that attention and acknowledged it myself. I allowed myself to have my feelings and to move with them. I had a lot of anger in the beginning and I was driving um, like from the hospital when he was there, he was in the ICU for 45 days. And then I actually 
I can't believe it now when I look back, but I actually started working with clients. So he, the accident happened Monday evening, Monday night, and I was back seeing clients on Thursday. (laughs) And I'm like, how did I do that? Um, But where I was going with that was that I drove in the car and I allowed myself to cry. I allowed myself to scream. I talked out loud. I screamed at the universe or God at the time, you know, like, why is this happening? And I would talk to my friends and we would talk about it ourselves instead of trying to be fine and nice and like, I'm okay. I was like, no, I'm not okay. This is really hard. So that's one of the first things I did was just allow my emotions to be present and finding who was there, who could hear them and join me in that. I think one of the the beautiful things that I've learned is when somebody is deep in grief, no matter what kind of grief, we often don't have the words to say, and that's fine. Even just saying, I don't know what to say, and this is really messed up. Of course, I would curse and use different words there, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you're welcome to express yourself however you wish. This is a safe space. Yeah, like just saying to somebody, I don't know what to say, but this is really fucked up and I'm here with you. That is just golden, just to hear that from somebody. Because we often don't know what to say. Because we're not, again, we're not we're not taught how to be with somebody in deep grief. At least I wasn't. Mm-hmm. So Mm-hmm. And I think too, um, when you're trying to sort of relate to somebody in their grief, or you don't know how to relate to somebody in their, their grief, you also don't want to take away from their grief by jumping in. I think we're also very well trained and saying, Oh, yeah, that happened to me too. Or one time this happened to me. And you know, what we're trying to do is we're not trying to overpower the other person. What we're trying to say is that I'm human too. Right. And I think you know, filing through my brain, looking through all the files of my brain, and you're trying to make sense of what you're seeing or hearing. So you pull out the first file that comes to mind, and you share that. And sometimes that is not very reciprocated that well, because you don't know if that is, (laughs) if that is really the right thing to say. Um, But you're just trying to say, you know, it's kind of like giving somebody an emotional hug or a verbal hug. And then Sometimes, like you said, the best thing to hear is this is really messed up. Like, I'm sorry, this is happening to you. And I'm sorry, like, I don't understand. But I acknowledge the fact that this is really hard. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. You know, I read a quote. um, I feel like I've been grieving my entire life. I was adopted at eight years old from Siberia. Mm -hmm. So I I grieved a huge, huge loss of culture of all sorts of things. And um, it wasn't until I remember my mother saying to me, you know, Elena, and, and I was adopted by a single parent, uh, my mother. And she said to me when I was in my teens, she said, you know, Elena, everybody has problems. And I remember it hitting me like a ton of bricks. What do you mean? Everybody has problems. Everybody is grieving. Like what? Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe it. And then it wasn't until my mother passed away last year that I came across this uh, quote, a really great quote. And it was, I sat with my anger long enough until she told me her name was grief. Right. What are yeah. your thoughts on that? I love that quote. That's a beautiful quote. And I, um, and I've heard it before. I kind of collect grief quotes and grief books. I'm just, I used to call myself the grief geek actually. Um, but, uh, anyway, so I also truly believe that we grieve throughout our entire lives. Um, I even think that we like 
being born is a grief process because we leave what was this idyllic womb experience and then we go through a process of being born whatever that looks like and that can show up in numerous ways and then and then we're in this bright world breathing air you know and dependent so it starts there it starts the journey of grief going forward so amazing amazing like I, I I love that quote too and I, I just feel really lucky to have you on the podcast because, you know, to have a group expert who's also or a grief expert who's also a wag of SEI is really special um, mm-hmm. because you know what it feels like to not only counsel people through grief, but also counsel yourself through grief when you're dealing with quadriplegia, which is a whole new kind of beast, yeah. I would I would say. Yeah. Um, what would you say your biggest piece of advice is for women who are you know, a few months down the road from their partner's injury, they've survived the hospital, they've survived rehab. They've, you know, I felt myself when I was going through rehab in the hospital situation that I was surviving based on adrenaline. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't have time to really feel what I was feeling. I was just go, 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 survive, survive, survive. And you think you're doing okay, right? Until you get home to real life. And then you realize, uh, this is not something that I'm used to dealing with. This is not something I've ever gone through before. I don't have anyone to support me through this, which is why, you know, it's the main reason why we began this group is because we were right. both alone. Right. Um, but I feel like this is a very unique situation where the trauma happens to your partner and we as WAGs are largely ignored during that process. Yep. You know, I remember we went to a therapist at the rehab to, to try and see if we would qualify, quote, qualify for any sort of counseling. Mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to get on top of things. We wanted to make sure that mental health was looked after. We wanted to go as a couple. We wanted to, him to go. Right. And she said, well, well, you're not, the, the injured person is not suicidal. She basically like stamped her paper and was like, you're not suicidal. You don't qualify. Whoa. And right then at that moment, I was like, wow, there is no support for not only the injured person navigating these big emotions, including grief, but the caregiver and the partner, there's no support for them, right? And when it comes to dealing with these big emotions, um, when we're in the hospital situation, most of us take on our partner's feelings as well. So we're not, you know, we're living on stress and survival, but we're also incorporating our partner's feelings and trying to help the partner. Oh, yeah. And then when you get home, you realize, oh, okay, this is huge. I haven't really processed anything myself. What is going on? And we get a lot of questions mm-hmm. and comments on the group where women are like, you know, it's been six months and I'm feeling all these feelings and I don't know what to do, or it's been six months and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm depressed and I've stopped focusing on him as much. And now I feel all this in my, in myself. And, and, uh, they, a lot of them feel, I would say not shame, but like a little bit of shame because they're, they're taught in the system that they don't really matter. That it's the injured person that matters. Right. And so they grieve in silence, right? Because our partners are going through something huge themselves. And, you know, we are trained that that is the only thing that really matters. And so I guess my question for you is, what is your advice for wags who are in a situation where they have to grieve silently? They don't want to tread on their partner's toes because their partners are grieving. Absolutely. And, you know, and it's like, it's that whole idea of like, 
the injury is the worst thing that could happen to you. Your feelings are not valid because of that. Right. How would you navigate that? Or what advice would you give to women who are, who are navigating that? I mean, first I would say your feelings and your experience matters. Your grief matters. Your caregiver grief matters. I would love to give it a new term, caregiver grief, um, because we don't, we don't talk about the caregiver. Um, in fact, that reminds me of my partner who recently said at one of our, we had a book reading event and he was right by my side to also answer questions afterwards because it, it happened to us, but it also, it's my story. Um, and he just shared that he was so proud of me because what happens during this kind of experience is that um, my injury and my experience as the person who's injured overshadows hers as the caregiver. And so he just shared that it was, you know, that's, I think one of the reasons why I wrote the book too, is that I wanted my voice to be heard from what happened to me as the partner of the one who got injured. And, you know, so that's the first thing I would say. And there's, there's a lot more I could say too, but I think for someone who's new and they've survived the hospital experience and then they're in this like, Oh, how am I going to do this? I think, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book and how I saw it when it was happening was realizing this is a marathon. Not that I've ever run one, but I was like, I need to set up how to do this for the long haul because I knew I wasn't going anywhere, right? I said yes to this life and that's a whole other story in itself. But, um, you know, so I was like, how am I going to do this? I need to take care of me. And I think it's one of the hardest things as a caregiver when we hear like, what's that, like, put on your oxygen mask before you put on your child's or your partner's, right? Like, it's how do we take care of ourselves? Because otherwise, if we don't, we're going to not be okay to take care of our partners. So I call it radical self-care. And, you know, so one of the things I did was I finally, I think it was two years out. No, maybe it was yeah, I have to look back on the timing. Like in that first two years, I actually found a therapist myself and I needed to find somebody who specialized or did um, what's called EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And so that's a way to work with trauma. And I had vicarious trauma. Uh, I wasn't there when my partner crashed on his mountain bike up on the trail but I saw it over and over again. And so I needed to deal with that along with like just the surgery. There was so much trauma also that I experienced in the beginning. Um, and I also needed that therapist to have worked in the medical system and she had been a hospital chaplain. So, uh, so with those two things, I knew that I could trust her, but I think it's important to find the right therapist for you, if that's what you want to do. Um, and to ask around, like, and it's okay to have a few sessions and then quit if you don't like the person, like you need to find a really good fit. Um, and then I would say you also need to do some things just for you. Um, you know, I have a, a practice now of, uh, being outside in nature and I make art in nature. Um, you know, I go on long walks and, you know, that was a process in itself because for a while I'd feel guilty about going walking in the 
on the trails and in the forest because my partner can't. And um, so I also learned to to notice the guilt and be like, okay, but I also need to do this for me because I need to take care of me first, which is hard. Those are some great tips and, and some very, very real thoughts. I think that all of us have in the community. I remember, um, you know, like you say, you have these sort of, you have these conversations within yourself where you're almost bargaining with yourself right? around self-care around, well, should I be out walking because my partner can't. Right. And I think that that is a very real place that many of us live in as caregivers. And then what ends up happening, um, and I can speak from personal experience, and I think many women can, is that years go by and you realize, oh, my body doesn't move the way it used to, or I haven't made time for my mental health or my physical health. And maybe it's easier to grab that glass of wine than to go and do some uh, body mind connection in the forest or go for a swim or, right. or whatever it is. Right. So then you yeah. end up that neuroplasticity over time ends up being, you, you've created some pretty, not so great habits. And right. then you look past and then you, you see your life kind of moving forward, but what has happened in that process? And it's almost like a very dissociative behavior that ends up being not such a healthy habit. And <clears throat> I remember actually one year, um, and I think this run is still quite popular, the Wings for Life run. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but they do this run across the globe to raise awareness for spinal cord injury in general. And um, I remember the first year thinking their motto was "Run, running for those who can't. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking that, you know, the two of us participated, but lots of other people participated too. And, and people went out with their partners and I thought, what a great way to create, recreate exactly what you're saying is doing something because the other person cannot. And I feel like actually you can go almost the opposite way. Like I have to do all these things because my partner can't. Right. 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 And then you kind of, (laughs) and then you overdo it that way too, because you're trying to compensate for something that your partner can't do. And of course your partner you're the you're so closely connected you share everything with them you share your energy with them the space with them but every year Brooke and I put together a self-care run in March it's it's Mm. for just for the women for the caregivers the 5km self-care run and I think a lot of us still have these feelings around should I be going out there like should I even be talking about self-care and a lot of people, I feel they can't even call themselves caregivers because they, they compare themselves to, well, am I a caregiver? Uh-huh. And I feel like a lot of women also can live in silence around that. Like what Brooke was saying, is my self-care really that important when my partner is asking for this or that? Like before we sat down for this podcast, we were saying, right. you know, our partners are mm-hmm. saying, can you just, can you just, can you just <laughs> one more thing? Yep. And And then, and then that just one more thing, it's like that balance between being like, okay, okay, I got to do this for myself. I got to, I got to get on this podcast. I got to go talk to some women. This one loss just is going to have to wait. And then Mm -hmm. sitting down, you feel your body reacting to, well, I should have just, or well, I physically am able to just, so Mm -hmm. why didn't I do that? So that balance, and then on top of it, when you're grieving, that grief is a part of self-care. Would you, would you say that, you know, being able to silently, not silently, being able to grieve for yourself is a part of self-care. Yeah. 
And I wish this was something that like, like we were, we were speaking about earlier, how there is such a lack of support in the re- rehab and hospitals. Sure. Rightfully so, but there's such a lack of support for the partner that you do almost become buried that talking mm-hmm. about grieving or self-care almost becomes like, Oh my God, this is like kind of a, you know, taboo topic. We shouldn't be talking yeah. about that. Well, so. my, ex- my experience at the hospital is they didn't talk about it at all. And me being a therapist, I thought for sure when we moved to the rehab hospital, which was in Denver, Colorado, Craig Hospital, I thought for sure the psychoeducation groups that we were, that they did weekly, I thought for sure they were going to talk about the grief that shows up because of this. Nothing was said. Nothing. I just, I was, I couldn't believe it because that's, we were all in it. It was like we were in, it was like, just that when they explain like we were the fish in the water, the water is the grief. Like we, but we were in it, but we're not looking at it. We're not seeing it because we're just everybody surrounded by it in the hospital, but they never spoke about it. Yeah. Right. Isn't that interesting? And especially because a lot of the time, um, many women can say in the community that you're kind of looked at as, as the help you're looking at, like, you're not even the partner you're looked at as you're just there to help with like the showering because there's not enough nursing staff to give your partner a daily shower. Um, you're there to clip their toenails, to do some wound care, to transfer them in and out of their chair with a sling. It's like, Oh, you don't get the care you need. Just call your girlfriend call your spouse, get her to come in here without really, truly realizing that what we're, what we're doing is we're, we're creating a systemic problem of unrecognized caregivers now that are not compensated, that are not being recognized for the work that they're doing, Right. which is a whole other ball game. No, that's a whole other, whole other issue. But I want to ask you, um, I, so for anybody who doesn't follow Beth, um, on her Instagram, her Instagram is Beth underscore Erlander underscore grief underscore friend. And I wanted to speak to you about one of your quotes uh-huh. with big grief. The answer to why comes much, much later. And sometimes it never comes. We have to live our way into the answer. Can you speak a little bit about this quote? Because I really love it. Mm. Oh, how do I start? Um, well, that's based on a Rilke poem. The It starts with, and it's I'm staring at it because it's on my bulletin board here at my desk. Um, I beg you to have patience with everything unresolved in your heart. Have you heard this poem? I have not. I have not heard the poem. Can you share it with us? Yeah, I'll keep reading. So, and try to love the questions themselves as if they were locked rooms or books written in a very foreign language. Don't search for the answers which could not be given to you now because you would not be able to... Something's covered up. To see them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps then, someday, far into the future, you will gradually, without ever noticing it, live your way into the answer. And that is a favorite poem that I have, and it helps me. I think it was fate. I knew that poem even before the accident. But I think when we're grappling with why, when we're really searching for why is this happening to me or to my loved ones or to whatever the issue is, it's like we can't, we sometimes don't know the answer. 
And so I think we just have to keep walking with it, walking into the future that maybe someday we'll know why, or maybe not know why and pinpoint it to one thing, but we may have meaning from what has happened. And I think it's a process. So it's not like it's some big grand answer that's going to answer it. Does that make sense? Yes, it makes total sense. Yeah. Um, and I think this is one of uh, the underlying questions that a lot of WAGs that are dealing with grief have, and they don't realize where it's coming from, um, that like human need to make sense of everything and to know everything and to, you know, the mind chatter that, that all of us have when we're dealing with big emotions. Because in, in, in my view, emotions from the, they're stored in the body and they manifest in the mind and they'll try and grab your attention, right? In ways that, you know, creates more mental chatter and you can drive yourself crazy listening to that, right? Yeah. But yeah. it's also important because it's a messenger, right? It's trying to get your attention for a reason, trying to direct your attention on something that needs healing. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of women, you know, that are dealing with grief that have no idea they're dealing with grief yeah. um, because it presents itself so, so very differently mm-hmm. um, than you would think, right? Mm-hmm. Lots of people just think that, you know, grief is tears, grief is crying, right. um, grief is being depressed, but it, it can present itself in a lot of different kind of weird ways that are very specific mm-hmm. to the individual mm-hmm. um, and very greatly, right? Oh, Do you have um, any insights into that oh. <laughs> as far as from your perspective? how grief manifests in, in a different way oh, for different people. Yes, absolutely. I actually wrote a blog post called the mess of grief back in 2015. Um, and I had seen, I think it was on Facebook at the time, somebody had posted this U chart. In fact, I have it right here. So it was like a starts with loss and then it goes to shock, numbness, denial. And then, so it's like a, it's a, it's a U. So it starts at the top with loss and then it goes down the diagram and then it comes back up with more positive emotions like re-entry, new relationships, strength, hope, helping others and adjustment at the end. And I got so upset. I got angry about this chart because what it implies is one of the big myths of grief, which I think has People are talking more and more about it, but this implies that grief is linear. And I also hesitate to say stages. Um, So I crossed out, it said stages of grief, because that implies that you're going to go through these things in order and you're going to be fine. And I think what most people want to hear is that they're going to go back to their, who they were, their normal life. Right. And that's never, that is not the case with a spinal cord injury. So I took off this diagram, I printed it out, I took a big Sharpie and I I crossed out the stages and wrote the mess of grief. And then I started charting, like, where have I been? It starts with loss and shock. I agree to that. But then I kind of ping-ponged all over the place and mostly came back to the emotion of anger. Um, And so, so... So I think another weird thing about grief is that you can have a few emotions going on simultaneously. Like you may have a moment of joy for just a moment, and then you're thrust back into deep sadness. And that's very confusing. 
And then you're going to feel guilty because you felt happy. All of it is grief. All of it. And so I also talk about how, so I actually created another diagram of this that's in a circle. And so with all those emotions on the circle, and then I invite people to track their emotions. So you're kind of making this linear shape in the middle, if you will, if you can imagine. And then imagine, so imagine that that is going on these, you know, you're going from one side to the other with these emotions, but the whole ball or the diagram is moving forward in life. And I think that's why grief can feel so confusing because it's going forward, but you may be going backwards and upside down and right side, like you, you're pinging all over the place. Does that make sense? Yes, very much so. I think um, that's really solid wisdom because I, you know, touching on what Elena was saying earlier, I think we have been trained in our society that feeling big feelings and the fact that we even have feelings that are up and down is not to be talked about um, and it's not to be valued. Um, and so a lot of us, especially women and especially wags, um, you know, coupled with the whole your feelings aren't really that valid. You know, no one says that to us, but we feel it. We see it. We see it in action in the rehab system, in the SCI system. Right. Um, and so that training coupled with our training of be the good girl, you know, mm-hmm. um, make the most out of your life, you know, the kind of the backlash of radical feminism of mm-hmm. you can do everything all at once mm-hmm. for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think women are really struggling right now and tie that into being a wag of SEI and the additional stresses that are on top of that. Yeah. You know, we've all been trained that feeling our feelings is something that shouldn't be happening. And so I know myself specifically, you know, I had to move through a place where I was not necessarily avoiding but shaming myself for feeling mm-hmm. and thinking, you know, as kind of a more A-type personality, a little bit of a perfectionist in there, you know, I always have to work with that within myself. Um, but having that coupled with the training of being a female in today's society, plus being a caregiver mm-hmm. and being literally instructed to put your feelings aside in every way possible when you're going through these emotions that you mm-hmm. have to process it can feel so unsafe just for the fact that you're told that you shouldn't feel these feelings or that they might upset somebody. And so I feel the grieving process, even when you decide you want to begin it and you want to go through, say you're redoing some healing that you missed, you know, Uh say you decide, okay, I need to spend more time on myself this year. I'm going to go revisit some of the traumas that I feel like I haven't fully processed yet. And I'm going to spend some time on them. Uh Say you decide that. Even when you decide that, it's still you still have to work through those feelings of um, this isn't something that I should be doing because I've been told that it's not right and it's not something we should be going through. And we are super women and we have to take everything. We have to have children. We have to work. We have to be the breadwinner. We have to be the caregiver. We have to right. do it all um, and not complain about it. Right. You know, and uh, so that's why I get personally so upset with, um, you know, 
this, the backlash of equal rights and, you know, higher pay and this and that and this and that, because it's created kind of a monster. And, you know, you could, you could talk about how, what's that done, what that has done to the masculine and and the men on our planet as well, and especially Western society. But that's another podcast. But basically what I'm saying is it's so difficult to get to the place where you first have to get to the place where you allow yourself to grief. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you have to work through the feelings that come up when you actually allow yourself to grief. So you're not just dealing with grief. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's so complicated. And I know there's a term for the CPTSD where it's like complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Right. And, you know, the fact that these women are doing this largely without support right. at all, but most of them can't even afford to get support. Right. So it's, it's such a traumatizing situation and it's so challenging for us, you know, when yeah. we're, talking to all these women on a daily basis and we're seeing what's going on in the group and, you know, we're receiving emails and it's so difficult to navigate that space because it's like, you're trying to navigate through a very, very complicated grieving process, but there's so many different layers Mm -hmm. um, about when it comes to our role in this. And so Mm -hmm. that's why it's so important to have someone like you on because mm-hmm. you are in that role and you're also not only have you gone through the grieving process yourself and continue to go through it yeah. and continue to befriend it and face it head on, yeah. but you're also, in addition to that, <laughs> helping women and other people with their grieving process, which yeah. is the work of a, a master, right? And so, yeah, like, you know, we're, we're thankful to have you on and we want to make sure that, um, women who are listening right now know where to find you, where to get more information on you, how to contact you. And of course, um, how to get your book. Yeah. Um, so my book right now is on Amazon and it's sold as a paperback or as an ebook. I do have plans to make it an audio book, but that takes time. Uh, and I want to read it myself because I think my voice needs to tell the story. Um, and then I, because I, I want it to be available and accessible for uh, people who don't have hands, like my own partner, who can't turn pages in a book. So that's important to me. People can also find me at my website, www.betherlander.com. And they can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Um, it's Beth Erlander grief friend with hashtags in between those words. And I mainly on Instagram and on my business Facebook page, mainly talk about grief and all the different types of grief and how that shows up. And, um, because my main passion in, in life is how to teach people how to be with their grief, how to befriend grief and, and I think more and more as this world goes on and what's happening right now in the Middle East, there's so much collective grief and we need to come together and grieve. Um, and more of us need to know how to hold other people's grief. So, um, so that's, yeah, I think that's, did I answer where to find me and how to reach me? People can also email me too. We're open to that. Beth at betherlander.com. 
That's perfect. No, that's perfect. And of course, if you have any questions for Beth through our podcast, the Wags of SEI podcast, please email us at wagsofsei at gmail.com and we would be happy to pass on any information. We're hoping that we can also do a collective collaboration in doing a giveaway of Beth's book, The Grief Guide, which I think will be fantastic and a great resource. If you're listening today and you find that there is a lack of resources for you through your partner as a caregiver and grieving process of your partner's injury, this will be a great guide for you and hopefully let let you feel less alone um, through the process of grief. So thank you very much for being a guest today, Beth, on the Wags of SEI podcast. And uh, we definitely look forward to see, to watch your journey unfold. This is such a great accomplishment. And what, what is, you know, something, there is something more that you can be proud of than writing a book, the effort that it takes to sit down, to put your thoughts on paper and coming out with a final copy to be able to share as a resource for other women in the community. What a tremendous, tremendous accomplishment. So thank you very much for that. Thanks Brooke and Elena for creating WAGS. I remember finding you, I think in the year 2017, and you started then too, right? When did you start? Yeah. (laughs) I found you shortly after that, and I remember being like, what? I needed this back in 2012. So I'm so happy that you guys have created this community for so many Well, thank you for being a very integral part of that. So like we always say, until next time, take care of yourselves and love one another. Cheers.